Good morning. How are you? It's so good to see friends, I'm just saying. And as I was entering the church today, you can stand, we're gonna worship. Two birds, different spots, like stopped almost to say hello to me. And it makes me think of a lot of things, but the thing that it's reminding me of right now is just like, we get to do this together. And even creation's gonna cry out and praise God's name, right? Like, it's so good to, I know it's a dreary day, but the birds wanted to say hello. So um, I'm just gonna praise him. God, I just thank you for your creation. I thank you that you are what we breathe in. And so I just pray right now that whatever everyone's coming in with, God, that you'll just remove it, take it right off of our shoulders and let us just fix our eyes on you, God, on you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, move. We just wanna be here and we wanna be here with you. And I just pray it's sweet to your spirit in Jesus' name. will cry these bones will sing great 
Jesus, we praise your name and we just thank you, God, for all the things you're doing, just the ways that, Jesus, you come alongside each one of us. Whatever the day is like, whatever the week is like, and you are for us, talking to the Father, moving on our behalf. So, Jesus, thank you. is my firm foundation Oh, the rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaking Oh, I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus Cause He's never let me down He's faithful through change So why would he fail now? He won't. He won't. I've still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. So I won't be going under. I'm not. Rain came 
Amen. Can we celebrate a God this morning who doesn't fail, who's always with us? I love that so much. There's a scripture that says that the name of the Lord is like a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. And that's what we celebrate this morning. We're about to go into a time of prayer, just that God is our strong our strong rock, that whatever we're walking through in life, whatever we're going through, that God is the place we can come to where we're safe. And so we're gonna do that this morning. I don't know what kind of week you had. You might've gone through a really hard week. And so we, we just wanna make time in this place, in this space for you to maybe take a seat if this, if this week has been overwhelming or if you're facing things where, where really this is the picture of the church where we are one body, brothers and sisters in Christ, where we come around each other, where we serve one another. And so if you do take a seat, there might be other people who come around and extend a hand just to let you know that you are not alone. Amen, church? And so let's go to God together in prayer. God, we look to you today and we affirm that you are where our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, that nothing is outside of your grasp. 
And so I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice, God, we all come in here with different needs, needs that really only you can satisfy. That even more than the, the circumstances of our life changing, God, we need to know that you're close, that you're near, that you care. And so I pray that you would do that for us today. God, we also lift up uh, the other parts of the body of Christ, that, that your church is so much bigger than just all shores, but you've established the church here and now to, to really be the hope of the world in every corner. And so we lift up other parts of that body this morning. God, we lift up Grand Haven Community Baptist this morning. Would you continue to be in their midst? Would your joy be in the midst? And would you continue to use them? as your hands and feet in this community to, to move your kingdom forward. God, we also pray for missionaries that we partner with throughout the world who are bringing the gospel in so many different places. We lift up Dave this morning, who's reaching and serving and living with the noon people. God, would you be exactly uh, what you need? he needs you to be? Would you continue to open up doors for new relationships that he's building that ultimately he could share about the hope and the glory of who you are? And God, we just pray for ourselves. Would you open up our minds and open up our hearts for the words that you have for us today? And we promise to lift you up. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Well, if you are here in Spring Lake, you can take a seat. My name is Evan. If we haven't had the chance to meet, welcome. We just want to say thank you for being here. I want to give a special shout out to those of you who are new uh, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time. Come on, church, can you show them some love? If you're coming and joining us, we're so thankful that you're here. We hope you feel right at home. And we would love to connect with you. We'd love to, to get to know you a little bit, hear your story, share a little bit about us. The best way that we know how to do that is through our connection card. And there should be a QR code in the seat back in front of you. Or you can always go to allshores.org and there's a button on our home screen that says connect with us. We'd love to get in touch with you. You can also go um, at the end of our service today, you can go to our connection point, which is a booth um, in the lobby. And we, would, we have a gift that we'd love to put in your hand. Just say thank you for spending time with us today. There's also physical connection cards at the connection point as well. Uh, uniquely today, um, there, there's something else at the connection point. There's um, voting. Um, coming up, voting information. May 21st, we're going to be voting as a church um, for upcoming open board seats. Um, and we're also going to be voting for um, what delegates to send to our regional conferences. So if you want information about that, we'd encourage you to, to find that at the connection point um, in the lobby after service at all, at any and all of our campuses. I'm also excited about this week. We have something coming up tomorrow. Um, if you've heard about the journey, the journey is really the best next step to taking steps deeper into the life of our church. Um, no matter where you are, if you've been coming for a long time or if you're new to kind of make steps forward is the best place. And so tomorrow, uniquely, we're combining steps three and four um, here at our Spring Lake campus at 630 and West 200. And so if you've, if you've started the journey but haven't finished it or if you haven't started at all, we would love to have you join us tomorrow night. You can still register at allshores.org slash the journey. This is also the time of the service where we give back to God, recognizing ultimately that everything that we have is from him. And so if you wanna join us today, we'd love for you to do that. The ways to give should be on the screen behind me. There are also boxes on your way out. Um, if you're a guest this morning, there's no pressure. We're just glad that you're with us. But we do relish the chance to join with what God is doing, restoring our world both here locally and across the globe. 
knowing that what we do together is so much more than any of us could ever do apart. We have a great rest of our service planned for you this morning. So glad that you're here. Why don't we turn our eyes to the screen for what comes next? whether that is through a thought or a picture or a sense to respond in obedience or an invitation to respond to you, would you just speak? Some of you have never made the decision to follow Jesus. You've never responded to this very reality that he came, he lived, he died, he rose again, that he meets you in the depth of your sin, in the waters of sin. Jesus to be with you in your sin and forgive you because his death brings forgiveness. So ask for it. God, would you forgive me for the mess I've gotten and the mess I've done and the sin I've committed? And then for any of you who do that, Holy Spirit, would you fill them fresh and begin to bring new life and new seed of that out of them? as well, we will become people that bring and witness baptism to others and offer hope and life in the depth of their struggle. I ask this in your name and in your power. comes to how you spend your time. You want to be intentional, impactful, inspiring. You want your investment to be worth it. The Global Leadership Summit is two days to unplug from the everyday, to refuel, refocus, and gain practical skills to level up your leadership. The Global Leadership Summit gathers in locations across the world. This is a community of people dedicated to investing in themselves. Curious, growth-minded leaders sharing inspiring moments that have a transformative impact on your heart and mind. The Global Leadership Summit is two days of renowned speakers, uniquely curated thought leaders from every industry. Gain tools that challenge you to amplify your influence and equips you to lead where you are. This investment in your leadership now will create exponential dividends in your future.
Well, I want to welcome those joining us online, all of you here in our Spring Lake campus. We're in the, uh, the fourth week of a series we titled, Who is Jesus? And we'll get to that in just a minute. I'm going to invite you to pray. But before I do that, even as I was watching kind of the different things that are coming up, I always want to remind you to try to just engage. So if you're someone that hasn't been baptized, well, you just want to ask God, are you inviting me to participate and be baptized? If you're someone who says, I'm not a leader, we have a leader event coming in August, we say every one of us has influence. And that event is both for us in the church and for our community because we invite a lot of leaders from our communities and all of us grow. And so that's what those are for. But we're in this series about who Jesus is, very simply. And Every time we open the scriptures, we say it's not about information or persuasion, it's about revelation. And so the part we begin is you talk to God about where you are with him, what you're struggling with, what you need, what you wonder about, what you're encouraged by. Just ask God to speak to you in whatever your disposition, and we think that authenticity is part of what God wants and responds to. So you pray in the quiet, and then I'll pray for us together. Lord, I come to you on behalf of all of us, those here, those watching online, those that will watch later, and I simply ask you to speak. You know, break through whatever our barriers are to you. Help us be encouraged, inspired, ignited, convicted. However you want to move, we give you freedom and invite you to do that. And Lord, whatever I have to say that's not from you or where it brings confusion, let it fall to the ground, let it be forgotten. But I do ask whatever is from you, God, your spirit would breathe life into us together and individually. I join with the psalmist praying that the words I speak and the way all of us respond in our hearts and actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So I want to take you back to growing up and just ask the simple question, if any of you did language learning in any of your academic pursuits growing up, just say out loud the language you learned. Go ahead and say it, just all at once. It's an interesting language, isn't it? Spanish always seems to drive it a little bit harder. And I want to take you back to, to my own growing up and learning. And as you know, languages can be very practical and helpful. In fact, many of them you go and in different parts of the world. They're, they're helpful. In fact, Spanish is probably the most commonly learning that people will learn because it has huge applications in all sorts of environments for us. And in that mindset of high practicality, high reusability, the way you approach things, I spent four years of high school learning Latin. Yep, a dead language. That's what I did. I have a lot of good things I got from those four years. I translated into Latin the song Dust in the Wind. Pull we swinto. Omnia sunt to, And I can sing it all for you. I'm not going to today, but I could. Now, I want to take you back, too, because, and, and just give me this disclaimer. I was a freshman in high school, so I'm a teenage boy. My aptitudes and what drew my attention were not highly, uh, I guess they're highly questionable. Maybe that's a better way to say it. So we had this game we played. This is what I remember dominantly from four years of Latin, though I did plenty of translating and all that. So we had a game that we played that was a vocab, vocab game, and they split the class into two groups, the Romans and the Gauls. They called it Romanti contra Gallos. Now, I chose to be a Gaul for one reason and one reason alone, and please forgive me, but this is what we learned. The Gauls fought naked. That's what they learned. <laughs> Now, as a freshman in high school, that was a bad move anyway. I would have been completely humiliated, but for some reason, I thought it was funny. <laughs> I thought, no, you're good. So 
it's a crazy thing, though, isn't it? What a weird thing to, to know. That, that's a detail I now know and can never unlearn, and now you can't either. I went and did some research because for all the learning about it, I was like, how big was this? And the Romans and Gauls fought. The Gallic Wars were, were extensive. There were years of battling and the hatred between them. And it is true that a group of Gauls did fight naked. And there were three distinct reasons for it. Though it has nothing to do with today, I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> the first one is because by being naked, they were saying, we're confident. Ah. I'm not saying that's true. That's what they thought. Number two was that it left them unencumbered. So, for example, if they're running through thickets or bushes, their clothes will not get caught to anything else. Now, they never thought about what would get caught, but they didn't think of that. And then the final one was that it freaked the, the enemy out, so it made them kind of a bit, whoa. Well, apparently none of that was true. It did not help the Gauls. That's just a side note. But what does matter, which is not anything I've told you so far, is that the Romans and Gauls fighting like this was not a unique subset of one culture at one time. If you look through history, we often have enemies and battles where we literally cannot be together. And we either fight for the annihilation of the other or we fight to build walls to keep us from one another. And that matters because that's been true over time. And I'll tell you, it also matters in the life of the church because we have done this over our history if you move ahead to the, about the 4th century when Constantine became a Christian, and then when Constantinople and all the kind of, I would say, the empowering of the church related to power in general and governance, we began to look at even fighting differently. And if you go ahead to things like the Inquisition or the idea of the Crusades, we tended to use power to our enemies to take them out. But I want you to know as well, we fought within ourselves. And it's been true over all of our history. Christians have had varying beliefs that when we've disagreed, and we've even to the point of heresy, we kill the people that don't think like we do. That's how loving we are. And I want to be clear, this has been a problem all through our history. You could go to a place like Ireland in, in somewhat modern history and realize, listen, for decades they struggled between Catholics and Protestants and going after each other. There's horrific things that happened throughout that country, very specifically related to those differences. That is kind of heartbreaking at the same time. That's the way we've lived. And that's, that's not even in that period alone. And we may not be people that actually physically do this, but even within the church, we've had this. If you look at Catholics and Protestants, let's use that as a subset of Christianity. And you go back before Vatican II, which is only into the 60s, and even from there, there was such a departure from the two groups that each one saw the other as a fake church and heretical, and what it brought with it was hatred. And so there was just an animosity between those two subsets of Christianity. I love how Jim Gaffigan describes it because he was in Ireland. He goes, it's like, now here's a group of Christians with almost the exact same beliefs as us, but a little bit different. Let's kill them. And I go, that's kind of been the posture we've had. Now, it's adopted to more words and hatred this way. I've looked at it interestingly because as I've been here since 99, when I was first here and we would have people come and they would just want to be part of the church, if they were from another movement, they asked us lots of theological questions. And usually they were very specific ones that in the past the church has been really angry at each other over not having the common belief about them. Something as simple, I won't get into detail, but something like the sovereignty of God and the free will of humanity, as if you believe one or the other. I can tell I'm glassing you over, but that's... Now people draw different lines. They're, they can be about your political views or about certain views on issues of the day that people are asking and saying, if you're not here and you're not there, we divide and we fight. And I tell you that because we're in this series about who is Jesus. 
And we're going to look today at one of the many kind of facets of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and what it means. And this is from a letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And there are two groups that are battling with each other that are all following Jesus. They're the Jews and the Gentiles. But they've got major divisions between each other because of their differences, both in what they've attached to following Jesus and what they've had before. So Paul in this letter is writing, and he's saying specifically at this point in the letter to the Gentiles, hey, you're called the uncircumcised, and the Jews are called the circumcised, which, by the way, is like a way of saying you're less than. You're these people that have been far from God, and here's the Jews that have been close. And Paul is now going to make a case and going to engage them and the Jews as well. How do we become one when we're divided? So I'm asking you to engage in this considering a couple of things. One is, can you agree that we're very divided today even within the church? Don't, I, I'm just, I don't want to be overwhelmed with your responsiveness. But we can all agree, isn't that true? And, and let me just give you another picture that helps me because... I don't need to tell any detail, but this is one of the things I found. So I'm, I'm, I'm at an event that I'm, I'm um, officiating, and the, the person running the event begins to espouse something about his own faith that I think is really out there. And in my mind, as the person shares it, I'm immediately ready to put a wall and divide and go, oh, man, that is, I just got in crazy town. I didn't even know I was there. Then they tell me something a few minutes later that is incredibly in a different direction, powerful. And I left going, oh my goodness, this is a more complicated thing than I've made it. But I've lived in the divide and I'm ready to divide people pretty quickly. Can we just agree that we have that predisposition right now? And can we listen, as Paul writes to the early church, I'm going to ask you to listen as a Gentile believer and not a Jew. Because, and, and this is why I say this. We tend to think of ourselves like the Jews, and I only mean it in this way. We think we're the ones that have always had Christianity and so we're kind of in the in crowd, and anybody else comes in and adopts, follows our way. And that's very true, particularly in our area. But the Jews were the ones, and they were the ones that thought of themselves that way because they were all the people of God, and then they get Jesus. The Gentiles are one that were far. The reason I'm telling you is, in case you don't know, we're, I, I would venture to say we're 99.5% Gentiles. Can we agree? But we read the text like we're Jews, don't we? Okay, so I'm going to ask you to consider yourself far from God, not in the end crowd. That's the way it's being written, just because it might help you even engage in the text a little differently. Okay, that's where we're starting. So Paul has told them, listen, he's talking specifically to Gentiles. After he's talked to all of them about it's only through faith that we're changed, through faith that we're changed, and God's doing this great new work. And then he says, you were the uncircumcised, and there's a circumcised, but God's doing something new. And now he's going to describe what that is and what that means. So he says this, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now this is just a, a starting point for me that I think we often miss in our current way of being people who follow Jesus, for those who are here that would say they are. We tend to think individualistically. I follow Christ. Christ died for me. Christ conquered death for me. Christ is changing me. This is one of the aspects Paul's making. Hey, you got to understand who Jesus is. He died for us, not just for personal sin, but for communal sin. In other words, the hostility we have between different groups. Did you know that's a communal sin? That's what Paul is saying here. And that's very hard for us 
we tend to either think individualistically or communally, and what I want to tell you is yes. In other words, both matter. We're personally responsible. We're also communally responsible. What that means is Paul is speaking to groups of people that have missed the communal role of Jesus' death and resurrection. So I am speaking to us today as a community, not as individuals. You with me? Are you ready to be a community today? Because that's part of what Paul is saying is this is something Jesus did for us not just for me. And just to be clear too, because even though we all say we're individuals, what we tend to do is issues that matter to us, we say those have communal implications. Issues that don't, we say that's individual. Just wanted to let that out there. Okay. I just want to let it sit for a second. Issues that matter to us, we'll say have a communal implication. Issues that don't, we say it's individual. Don't put that on me. Okay. Could it be today God wants to go, you got the wrong view of this. Communal matters. And he's starting with Jews and Gentiles. He's saying to the Gentiles, hey, Christ came to bring you guys together. Now he gives a picture that we don't necessarily get when he talks about a dividing wall. And I want to give you this picture from the temple itself that the Jews would have understood much more and the Gentiles would have felt. So this is a picture of what the temple basically would have been the inner temple in, in Herod's day, which is at this time of history in Jerusalem. And in case you don't realize it, there, there's a whole other wall way around it. This is the outer courts. And the outer courts is where the Gentiles can go, in case you don't know. So the Gentiles can be out here. Once it comes to the inside this gate, only the women can go here, and then all the rest of the Israelites and men can go in here. So by the way, there's more walls. You just don't see it. But do you see that there's a different? The Gentiles are allowed out here but no further. There's a wall between Jew and Gentile to even come near God. And Paul is giving a picture of this going, you got the wrong picture. Get rid of the walls. Jesus wants that wall down and that wall just creates hostility. What it says is you can follow him, but you're less than. What it says is you can follow him, but by who you are or what you do, you're greater than. And we build walls to divide us. And he's saying God built them and tore them down. And we'll get into a beautiful picture of what God's doing about walls that Paul gives at the end of this, but it helps to understand the temple. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I'm not saying this is what the Bible says, but I believe it's an implication, and I believe it's true of our culture today. So this is my own opinion. You're welcome to go. You're dead wrong, but I'm still going to share it. You ready for it? Okay, good. This is something that I am very much believing right now. For the most part, our influences all the things we look to to give us information, even persuasion, and our views are built around their economic advantage and built to keep us on their side and building walls to differentiate. In other words, they want to separate us and they want us to stay with them and think if we don't, we're in trouble. So all that is to say, everything around us, and we pull it into our faith too, is building a wall to say, I'm in and you're out. And I want you to know it's working against us. So what I'm saying is a lot of influences in your life, even ones you would espouse and speak about, are saying, how do we build the wall? And even though we're saying it's pure, there's a lot of selfish motivation in it. Okay. I think he's nuts. I don't think that's true at all. I have the one true source. They don't get No way. The rest of them are like that. Just ponder that with me, and we'll keep going. All right. So we got the wall. We got the idea Paul's saying, listen, there's a wall that was already built. It brings hostility, and we have hostilities between us. 
and he's saying Jesus came to break down that wall. You might say it this way, are we making dividing walls or are we breaking dividing walls? Because Paul's saying there are different groups, and, and you gotta understand that was complicated. Paul's got people who are already Jewish that he's convincing them Jesus is Messiah, but he says you can't attach your previous religiosity to it. He's got people who have no background and they're discovering Jesus is Messiah and they're confused about what they attach and don't to all this. Because, and then it just builds walls. Jesus is saying, listen, Jesus came, he rose, he died, he suffered, he died, he rose again so that walls would be broken between us, not just for us personally with him. That's the gist of what Paul is trying to get to us. Now, he continues down this field, kind of giving us more of it. He's already said that Jesus made the two groups one. He's saying that he destroyed the wall, and this is actually a third adage of it, setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. All three of those things, making the two one, breaking down the walls, and setting aside the law, all fit with the idea of peace. In other words, you want to know how Jesus brought peace? He broke down the dividing wall, he made two groups one, a new family, and he actually did away and kind of finally finished the Jewish law, brought it to its completeness to live a new way in him. That's what he's saying. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. I just absolutely love that picture. That part of what Jesus came to do is not just redeem you, but redeem us and redeem groups of us that are different to be together in a way that nothing else could explain it. You get the picture so far? Okay, that's the picture Paul's giving, and it's convicting. I, I'm trusting you're all with me. Like, I don't like to say this or hear it, and I'm like, crud, I know I have not viewed it this way, and I don't know how much I'm even a part of it, because if you're like me, you're ready to divide, aren't you? Ready to say, oh, but this issue, but that issue, and we're so ready to fight about issues, and I'm not giving a pass on what truth is. I'm giving you a different perspective to look at him in the lens of what you deal with with people. Let me keep going. In one body, he's already said that he's made peace. In one body, he reconciles both of them to God through the cross, by which he puts to death their hostility. Their hostility to each other, not just to him, but to each other. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. <laughs> I, I absolutely love this, because remember I said we always connect to being Jewish instead of being Gentiles? But this is, as Gentiles, what he's saying is you're the people that didn't know God well, you're the one he preached to that were far. The Jews are ones that he preached to that were near. Any of you offended to think you're the people that were far from God? Because we are. Historically, we are. And, and I think there's a humility in that that helps us. What would it be like if you and I viewed ourselves as the ones that were far from God that others are judging instead of the ones that are close judging for the ones that are far? Because I think we miss it. And when we enter the text differently, I think it can help us. We always tend to, have you ever seen, do you not, I do this, don't you put yourself in the best light when you read a story? I read a story, if it's David and Saul, man, I'm David all the time. David is the king that listened to Saul's bad leadership and he did the right stuff. If I'm with David and Absalom, I am still David and I got a bad follower. I'm always David. I am never Absalom, I'm never Saul. And that's true of almost every story. It's hard for me to enter being the ones that aren't well regarded. What would it be like if you and I entered and said, maybe we should just be so grateful that God invited us to be close and didn't just say to the people that were his from the beginning, I'm just going to keep you. I'm telling you, the early church thought that it was just for the Jews. We wouldn't even be the church. 
What's it like for us to just embrace being alongside of those who are far from God instead of considering we're the ones close and everybody else is wrong? Because aren't we not most of this? I have an old friend who's a retired priest now and he always says to me, everybody always thinks they're right. And I ponder that for a lot of time, like, he's kinda, it's kind of true. We're pretty convinced. Humility helps us in this. Just a little, a little differently. He goes on. It's all gonna keep pointing to this. For through him, both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. I want you to picture he's saying this to the people that were called uncircumcised. He's saying this to the people that were called heathens and pagans. He's not saying it to the religious Jews, although he's also implying to them, those who thought they were above and you were beneath... You're both beautifully valued and level with what Jesus has done. He's made you one. There aren't hierarchical ways of who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong. We're all in this new place. Let me give you a picture, hopefully to help you with this. If you consider that we are foreigners. So uh, in the fact that we have a very big global engagement in our movement, we get chances to see missionaries from all over the world and people groups from all over the world. And one of the ones that's really stayed with me were the Kurds who are a group of people that were refugees in one foreign land and then moved to a second. And this group had to learn a second language just to speak in the third land they were in. That was not the primary language of the third land. It was a secondary language. But it was as good as they could get to even communicate in that land. So when they're in this new land, they're now speaking in a secondary language. And guess what that already does in the new land? It drops them lower. And then as the missionaries come in, they're only speaking in the second language, which doesn't get them to their heart language, which is where they're really changed and transformed. And what God is saying is you were foreigners. You, didn't, you were two languages away. I'm just using it as an example. And Jesus made you one. You matter. You're not secondary. You're not third. The foreigners, the ones we think the lowest of who don't fit who we are, he says you are fully members of God's family. Now, if you receive that as a gift from him, is that not amazing? If you're Jew, you see it as, oh, I'm not as amazing as I thought I was. I don't know what you need today, but you need one of them. God wants to break a dividing wall with us. And can we agree? We all have groups. If I just said there's groups we don't think well of, you can think of them. We don't use words like circumcised and uncircumcised. We use other words but we all have a language to describe how someone is less than or wrong and how good and right we are, don't we? Can we agree? Yeah. And Paul is telling you there's something new in this that God's creating a household, a household that's unexplainably different. And I just love this. I, I want to give you just a couple pictures that at least help me in this journey because I'm taking the journey with you of I know there are things. Listen, I've grown up in a pretty homogenous culture. I've lived in it most of my life. Most of the people I see are like me and have very little difference. And it's caused me to look at people outside of who I am in a very negative way oftentimes or with judgment. And I go, so I have to remember that. I've also, as a pastor, I get asked questions all the time. And people come in and they're asking me all sorts of culture questions. Once they find out you're a pastor, first they, they think, oh, what did I already say? Because they're retracing what they told you and they're fearful. Or, or the second thing is they're like, well, I'm going to put them on the grill here. Either they're going to ask me a question to find out, do you hold a strong enough view on this? 
or do you hold a loving enough view on this? That's usually what I'm getting. And here's what I'm learning. I'm not even trying to get to the bottom line, though I can always share a view. I'll just ask, tell me what's leading you to ask about this. And what I find is there's something going on in their life that's precipitating this battle they're in about an issue. You see, what I want to do is I want to just look at the issue and fight about it. You better believe this. Instead of walking with them in Jesus and going, I don't know how God's going to even move, and I am more than happy to share a view, but I want to share what he's going to help them with or meet them in right now regardless. That, by the way, is a different walk. You get it? And I don't think it's easy for us. And I think it's easy to go, but what about and what about? This is the picture I had all week of this in my own mind was, there, there's a, an image when Jesus is walking on the water and Peter asks if he can too, which would be a normal question because he's a disciple. I can do what you can do. He gets out and as he's looking at Jesus, he can walk on water and when he looks down at the turmoil, he falls in. And what I've come to is, whatever the issues I'm dealing with with people, when I look at the issue, I fall. When I look at him and walk with him in it, in all the confusion of it, somehow I walk differently and love differently. And I just think it's going to require something different, not abandoning or even saying we don't hold the things we hold, but what if we hold them more lovingly and more compassionately and differently and walk with people to become one where we've been to? Get in the picture? I just don't want to miss. I hope it's helpful. Let me keep going. Thank you. I'll take that. Woo! All right. This is, then he's giving clarity on the whole foundation of it. Listen, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. It rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now, many of you will know this. When I ask you, where does the spirit of God live? What do you know? Where does he live? In us. Everyone who follows Jesus is filled with God's spirit and his presence. Paul de, or Pete describes that, Peter does, as living stones. And Paul's using the same image. Listen, there were walls that divide us, that make us different. We're making dividing walls. We're not breaking them. But he's saying, you are actually a new temple. It's not this physical building that some are this place and some are that. He says it this way as he finishes. In him, you're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. There is a new temple, and it's in us. And Jesus is the cornerstone and the foundation of the apostles and the, the early prophets. And guess what? Every one of us is a stone being built in to make his presence have a place to live. Every one of us. And I'm telling you, it is an amazing... <laughs> I don't know if as a kid, did you have it where you had the little squares that you had for carpet and you took it around to different... You had to use it in school? We're like these carpet swabs that look different. They don't match. They don't all look the same. And it's a beautiful mosaic of the temple. That's what God wants to build. That's what Jesus came to do. Not just you and me individually, us together to be changed. I, I mean, it's a convictional question. You want to make dividing walls or you want to break dividing walls? Because I think we live in a world that's demanding dividing walls. It's calling us to make them. It's telling us if we don't make them, we're going to be watered down. We're going to forget who we are. We're not going to live the way we are. And I'm telling you, that will never get us where God wants, because Jesus came to break dividing walls, not to make them. And, and I don't want you to miss the outside push of culture, and even some within the church, is divide. If you hear this, get out. If you hear that, I mean, it is ridiculous the things we're being told we can and can't share that are downright Christian Jesus issues, or we share them the wrong way or only certain ones. 
because there's a divide that is wanting us to be in different places, and that is not how the church will be his church. I want to give you one more picture, and then we'll pray. This last picture is a picture of a bridge. Uh, this is actually in Ireland. It's in the city of Derry. And if you're not familiar, this area, and this goes all throughout Ireland, they have had, they actually would call it troubles, the idea of some serious, horrible killing that's gone on between Catholics and Protestants through their history. In fact, there are two versions, two times where they call it Bloody Sunday, one in the 20s and one in the 70s. One that the culprits were Catholic, one that the culprits were Protestant. But they had aligned all sorts of things and hated each other from all of it. Now, if any of you are U2 fans, you would know, you would know the song Sunday Bloody Sunday. Are you familiar with the song? Some of you out there, U2 fans? It's, I'm glad this service they yelled because last service they were like, I said, are you U2 fan? And they went, I'm a passive U2 fan. I don't want anyone to know. I'm just going to raise my head. I didn't get a single phone up, no lighters, nothing. It's like, oh my goodness. You're like... You two fans on Valium, what happened here? Thank you. But it is, it was very interesting. So I've been very taken by Bono and the Edge because they, they have quite a compelling life of, I would say, a poetic prophets, just trying to speak into the life and the mess they grew up in in the church and the life they've seen around. And Sunday Bloody Sunday is a song of that problem, not even to a particular day, their drummer actually describes it as it's an exemplar of life in general and how we hostily go after each other and tear each other down. And though we may not do it with physical battle, we have done it with our words, haven't we? And we do it over and over and over again. Well, in Dury, and this was well after this, they built a bridge called the Peace Bridge. And it goes from one side of the river to the other, and it winds, actually. And it's from what's notably the Protestant side to the Catholic side. And the reason it winds is it's a statement that the bridge is a hard winding road to build between us. It's not easy. But it's a physical image of the very call God has to make the church one. And so I leave you with a very simple idea and question, and it's just this. Would you actually build bridges with me? Would you start taking journeys to places you don't want to because everything in you is telling you we need to make a dividing wall, not to break it. Not only do we break it, we break it as we build a bridge. So I'll give you two simple things for me that have been pretty significant in my own journey and, and continue to be. One I shared with you, which is I am realizing I need to walk with people when they have very different views in a way that's still understanding and loving, not compromising, but walking with them. And that's a bridge, in case you don't know. Like I have people tell me things lots of times that I go, man, that is not where I am and I don't think it's where Jesus is, but I'm walking. Because all I know to do is walk with you right now. Whether we even get there, I know we gotta walk. But I also know, and this is particular to our campus, we live in a highly educated, up and to the right, pretty affluent area, and we're 10 minutes from an urban center. And by the way, our campus in a rural area in Cooperville also has a whole nother set of things. And even our campus in a rural or in an urban center, the city of Muskegon is incredibly divided. We're, we're not attracting people across it. We're attracting people that are like us in that area. And I'm saying God's calling us to move into areas that aren't what we're used to, to walk into them, to pray into them, to stop saying, I'm going to build a wall that separates me. Jesus came to break down the wall to build a bridge 
where I don't go on my own. And I still don't know how to do it, but I pray for it and I pursue people. Like, what if we start doing that? What if you and I stop worrying so much that we're going to fight? This is the thing. When I look to Jesus, it doesn't make me acquiesce on what I think he teaches or says or how we live, but it changes how I love and how I even view people from different perspectives, not endorsing, but still loving. I don't know how we're going to get there unless we're actually doing that. And Jesus came for us to be reconciled, for us to have hostility drop, for us to live and love differently. And can we be honest that whether you agree with me in its totality, most of our cultural pressures inside and outside of the church are telling us to divide and separate. Can we agree? And if that's true, do we not have to battle against that? Yes, we do. So I'm going to pray. We're going to have a time to worship and have communion as a way of going, God, just speak to us. I don't know what it means, but I know this is true, and I know my heart needs to be tender, and I know my movement is not towards making dividing walls, but breaking them, and being someone who builds a winding bridge in hard places that people see things the way I don't, and I learn things I can't know on my own, and love in ways I can't by myself. Let's pray. Lord, as I asked at the beginning, whatever's from you, I pray you'll rest on people and even ignite, inspire, convict, challenge, soften, tenderize. And as I said before, if I said anything confusing or not of you, let it fall to the ground and be forgotten. Jesus, we want to be part of breaking dividing walls. We want to be part of hostility being torn down. We want to be people that see each other in new ways and not, I disagree about this, therefore everything's a mess. But to live and love differently. So, Lord, would you help us to both receive and to give, to see communal and not just personal, to ask the question of how we can love and live differently and how we can move towards each other. I simply ask you to move among us and tenderize us to you. In your name, amen. Listen, we always leave time to worship, and we're actually going to sing this idea of God doing new wine, that he's pressing and crushing and making new wine skins to new wine in our lives. So let's stand and you worship and ask God to speak however he wants to as we sing together. I can't. 
invite you to be seated just for a few moments. We celebrate communion every week, and if you came in, when you came in, hopefully you grabbed a, a cup that has the bread and the drink in it. We don't have any rules that you have to be a member here. We want you to be pursuing Jesus because we consider this a sacrament, a sacred activity. We don't want you to feel an obligation to participate. But this is a centering act of the church. It has been since Jesus instituted it on the night he was betrayed. You'll see the breads in the top layer, and then you'll open it up for the second of the drink. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body given for you. In other words, I came in the flesh not just to die for you personally, but collectively and to bring you together. Paul describes us as the bread as one loaf, <laughs> one new family out of division and hostility. Let's take of the bread together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is a new covenant, my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Through his bloodshed, there is forgiveness. Through his bloodshed, sin and death are conquered. Through his bloodshed, dividing walls relationally can be broken. <laughs> that is a sweet taste we have together. Let's take of the cup. And Lord, I'm asking there'd be grace poured out. There'd be help and life and love poured out on us. And even where our hearts have just become hard like stone to others, would you soften them? I want to invite you to stand it. And we're going to sing, really, of the power that he brings through his blood. And we're asking for it. I don't know if it's you, but I cannot live and love people differently unless God changes me. So let's call out for it in our song as a declaration, really following what we've taught and learned in the Word together.
words Jesus bring new wine out of us us together living and loving differently and I've been uh, it's been a theme for me in Luke when he speaks of the new wine when Jesus talks about him new wine needs new wine skins and I've been really stuck on the fact that we want old ones because they're familiar I think to live and break walls the way we're called to and build bridges will require us to live in a way that will make people angry that we're not being harsher on things and make people angry that we're not being endorsing of things. Because loving people in the mess of all that is building a bridge that is hard. But I think that's a new wine, a new wineskin that requires us to walk still honestly in truth following him, but in a much gentler way. And I think it's incredibly beautiful and I know God's calling us to and I think it'll just make people mad. I wish I could tell you differently, but I think it will. I'm kind of just embracing it instead of arguing about it anymore. Maybe place your hands out and give you a blessing now. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with his spirit. May he do the work to make new wine out of you. May he give you new wineskins in how you live and love. And may you be people that break dividing walls and build bridges. That we will increasingly become one in him in new ways. For his glory and our joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.